episode 17 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle, a Seattle Mariners podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network and the only team-specific podcast in the network. I am your host, Andy Patton, joined as always by my co-host, Mikey Ahedo. Mikey, it has been too long since we've talked Mariners baseball. Happy to be back on the mic. Looking forward to the season starting in less than a week. I feel like we say that every <laughs> every episode. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, what what uh, what day is opening day? I want to know. Uh, it's it's a thir- Is it next Thursday? I want to say it's next Thursday. Oh, you would know better than me. Yeah, there's that. I am currently wearing some AirPods. Nice. So yeah, I feel I feel I feel very bourgeois, but um, <laughs> they're kind of worth the hype, man. Like, yeah, it. I was in a cafe the other day. And I was trying to, like, they're kind of hard to use. I still don't totally understand how to use them. But if you don't know, there are two modes. There's, like, transparency mode, which is, like, you can hear around you in some sort of, like, 3D mode. There's just off, so it's just, like, you have them in and nothing's happening. And then there's the noise-canceling mode. And it is wild when it switches between modes because it feels like uh, it feels like the world is shifting around you, like conforming to you. It's super hard to describe, but like sometimes I'll be like, man, something's like really changing, like in this cafe or whatever. And I'm like, oh no, my, my headphones just, <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. Just, yeah. Um, not to, you know, I'm an anti-capitalist, so, uh, not to plug, <laughs> you know, Apple's headphones. Um, you know, I'll say they're, they're not worth the hype, but, uh, uh, I'm enjoying wearing them right now. <laughs> I have a pair myself and I, I bought them for my wife for um, Christmas and I didn't have any myself. I had another pair of headphones that were starting to fall apart and I wasn't sure I was going to buy into the hype, but I gave them to her and then I started using them when I was working out or I started using them for a few podcasts and I was like, you know what? I need some of these. <laughs> like, yeah, man. It, they're so helpful for podcasts. They're helpful at work to just be able to have one in. You take it out and the music pauses. It's it, They're really nice. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. I can also tell you with confidence, Mikey, that a two-minute ad for an Apple product in the history of this podcast will probably never happen again. This is probably I, a one-off thing. <laughs> I hope so. I sure, <laughs> sure hope so. Um, really I'm just, style. Yeah, I'm just real excited about them. So, <laughs> Totally, totally fair. Totally fair. Well, Mariners baseball is coming back, and we can be excited about that maybe Equally to perhaps more excited about that than an Apple product. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're less than a week away from the regular season. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, it's been a really fun spring training for the Mariners. Uh, when you take in, when you ignore uh, the Kevin Mathers comments and kind of the uh, the low hang that it feels like that has kind of had over spring training and like the performances of some of the prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just pretend that didn't happen. And you just focus on how well some of the players have been playing uh, and how excited we are to have like James Paxton back, for example, and the fact that Ty Francis get, like looks like Ted Williams. Like, it's pretty fun. It's been pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was actually just looking on I'm going to uh, Twitter search it right now. But uh, way back when I I tweeted like a uh, like a, a sum- I forgot what you call it, a summoning circle um and yeah. just said like james paxton to the mariners in november but i accidentally hecked it up and like one of the candles <laughs> broke the summoning circle <laughs> uh but i guess that wasn't it was you know it was formed enough to where uh he, he still came here so i didn't really it, it worked it, yeah apparently it worked i'm taking credit for it 
Yeah, you absolutely should, man. You you are allowed to do it. My friend who's in my AL only dynasty league is taking credit for it because he picked him up like as soon as that trade happened. And it's a shallow league. Like it's not a league where Ty France would be like an instant guy you would add like some deeper ale only leagues and he picked him up right away so he's going to take credit because he thinks he willed it into existence i i don't want to give him credit but i i think he might have it's a league where there's no the middle infield depth is really terrible and i think he might have got got himself a really good one it's all his so before we get into some spring stars we're going to talk about we're going to talk more about france we're going to talk about James Paxton, Taylor Trammell, Justin Dunn, all of the dudes who have been kind of in the forefront of a lot of Mariners fans the last few weeks uh, because of how well they've performed this spring. Uh, before we do that, though, a couple news things for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, the first one is that they announced they will host their alternate training site at T-Mobile Park. So it is called an alternate training site, despite not really being an alternate, at least not an alternate to the major league club. Yeah. Uh, it also made for some good jokes about where Jared Kelenic will be starting his season because now they can sort of claim he's starting a season in Seattle. It's yeah. a bit disingenuous because I assume that's where he will be to begin the year. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't really seen how many other teams are doing this. If this is pretty unique to Seattle or if a lot of teams are kind of just using their home park as this training site or not, but I guess it'll be nice to have the guys uh, playing at the same park. Yeah. I, um, I think we are the only um, team that's doing it. So I think that's pretty exciting. Um, I mean, Tacoma's already really close, but, you know, you're in the environment in which you're trying to play in. Uh, it's easier mm-hmm. for uh, the major league guys and and uh, alternate site guys to compete against one another. So I, I think overall, uh, it's a really, really smart move. Have you, Mikey, have you ever been to uh, the Tacoma Stadium uh, where the where the Rainiers play? Yeah, probably to two or three games. One was a random game. One was uh, Taiwan Walker. I think his first start for the the Rainier. So that was that was cool. There you go. I just I, I'm curious, like the difference. I've only been there once, uh, and I was in the press box. Weirdly enough. Um, oh. which is at, at the Rainier stadium is a terrible view of the game. It was absolutely awful. I couldn't, I think yeah. Dan Vogelbach hit a home run and I didn't see it at all. Like he hit the ball and then I was like, Aww. where did it go? And then all of a sudden everybody was standing there. I was like, Oh, it left the yard. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't have a great sense of that stadium, but I'm, I'm, I would imagine that all of the players who would normally be there uh, or training at, at one of Seattle's other facilities will happily be training at T-Mobile Park. Seems like a bit of an upgrade for them. Yeah, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like like a major league ballpark. Obviously, like the environment mm-hmm. is different. Like it's just sure. not a big stadium, but even mm-hmm. the dimensions just feel differently. But maybe that's just because of the aforementioned like feel. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, minor league parks are tough because there's not usually. Uh, crowds in the outfield in a lot of them. So it seems yeah. like the fences must be different, but sometimes they're not mm-hmm. uh, like where the, um, the former Salem Kaiser volcanoes, uh, they were a giants affiliate. They were one of the teams, unfortunately cut by major league baseball, although they're going to be a, a collegiate wood bat league, but that's where I grew up going to games that were, you know, a low a affiliate of the giants. Uh, and if you had a home run to right field, it literally just landed on I five. Like, <laughs> that's where it went. Uh, so you, I'm sure cars got hit. Um, with frequency, like it, there's no way, like yeah, 15 feet past the fence was the, was the road. Like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that made it look really short, but like the dimensions were like 325. So it's not like it was dramatically different. It was just, right. there's just, instead of a hit it here cafe and like a bunch of rows of fans, there's just the biggest highway in the state. <laughs> it's wild. 
Oh man. Okay. So the next thing before we get into some of the players, um, I'm 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 not at all surprised, Mikey, that you threw this in our notes. <laughs> but, um, Mariners manager Scott Service took a shot at Trevor Bauer, which I thought was pretty great because Trevor Bauer has just been messing around. We'll use that term uh, during mm. spring training, um, not seeming to take it seriously, or at least making excuses, saying he's not taking it seriously whenever he doesn't do very well. Uh, he pitched an inning with his eyes closed. He's done a lot of weird Trevor Bowery type things in his first stint with the Dodgers. And um, Scott Service took a shot because the Mariners teed off on him. And I think yeah. was it was the fifth inning of that game that they just went yeah. crazy. Uh, and Service said that the Mariners didn't try for the first four innings or that their hitters were hitting with one eye shot. Just some really funny stuff to kind of take a take a jab at a guy who's been uh, being like himself, I guess, for lack of a better term, who's been acting kind of Trevor Bauer like uh, for the yeah. first few months of spring training. And it was kind of fun to see. Um, it was tongue in cheek, obviously, from service, but it's kind of fun to see somebody in baseball at least kind of make fun of him for this because we've kind of enabled his behavior for uh, way mm -hmm. too long. Yeah. And not only that, but uh, we really like barely get to see service fired up. And obviously, like mm -hmm. even then he was still just like just calmly making those comments. But he wasn't like he was kidding, obviously, but he wasn't like laughing about it. Um, right. I think he was actually a little bit ticked off, but you know, it is good to see a little fire from him. Like he reminds me a lot of Don Wakamatsu where he just always looks very distraught and slightly sad. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it, coaches are so like trained to be very careful with the words, particularly in, in this generation, obviously where every quote that you say will be, you know, whatever part of it that you maybe don't want to be out there will be pulled and displayed on Twitter and everything. So when he's going to come out and say something like this, yeah, it's, it is a bit tongue in cheek, like we said. Uh, and he knows it's not going to necessarily be taken super seriously, but like he could have not said it <laughs> and he, and he right. did like he, he knew that it would be a headline. He knew that like people like us would talk about it and that it would be on Twitter and that Trevor Bauer would see it, which I'm sure that he has. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just think that's great. I, I don't know that, it, you know, he's not trying to start a fight. I don't think if Bauer wants to, you know, get in a beef with him about it, then whatever, that's going to say a lot more <laughs> about Bauer than it is about anybody else. Yeah. But it's again, he, he, you know, he obviously, had some feelings about it and i thought it was hilarious i think uh um trevor bowers is kind of a overhead we can use that term uh, yeah there you okay. go that's a good word uh and sometimes he deserves to be made fun of and when you tee off on him and score a bunch of runs in an inning you should make fun of him a little bit you should do that so. and i love yeah. that i love that it happened you want to talk about some some mares some spring training performances let's do it I'm always conflicted on how to take spring stuff. I think as I've gotten more into like actually analyzing baseball, it's, it's clear how little the statistics actually matter. Um, not that they ever, I ever really thought they mattered a ton, but you know, stats are really not completely irrelevant, but largely not super relevant, but it's nice to see like a velocity jumps and it's nice to see just guys looking healthy uh, and both those things absolutely apply to the first guy on our list, which is James Paxton, obviously the big maple back in town. He's made one start for the Mariners. He looked really good. He looked really, really good in this outing. Eight strikeouts, just over four innings pitched. Uh, and his velocity was back. And I don't know how much of it you got to see or how much, uh, you know, you've kind of dove into it. But I was thrilled that that uh, big maple looked like he was the pitcher that he was before he left Seattle the first time. Yeah, um, I definitely think that it was really encouraging uh, just that he went, you know, for a spring training game somewhat deep. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah. kind of like you were saying, I think what we're looking for is a what kind of 
changes are they making? So uh, do they have a kind of a new pitch mix, which is a little right. harder to track, especially because some guys are just trying certain things. Like I remember Kyle Freeland, the year he got rocked after his like ace-like year, uh, he mm. went down to to the minor leagues and he was getting shelled and everyone freaked out. But no one knew that the Rockies told him, you know, like just work on your sinker, like only throw your sinker in this one spot. So guys are doing those sorts of things. But overall, yeah, I think we're looking at pitch mix changes. We're looking at uh, new pitch shapes. We're looking at bumps in velo and max exit velo. And so I think really for hitters, what we're looking for is are they hitting the ball hard? And what we're looking for with pitchers is mostly where's their velocity. So Paxton coming back and throwing 97, topping out at 97. That's really good. Mm. Like if he's sitting 94, he's exactly where we want him to be. Uh, and, you know, he, he doesn't need to be relied on as the number one anymore. So, so like it's so comforting seeing him back yeah. in, a, in a Mariners uniform. I, I, I did not expect to see nine seven on the gun at this point in the yeah. in, you know in his process obviously i know he's healthy but i didn't think that we would see him you know really bringing it i mean he was he was bringing it obviously he doesn't top out at much more than 97 so he wasn't throwing at 90 percent. like he was he was bringing what he's got and and uh to see him do that and look you know in command and everything i mean it was just just nice to see james paxton look like james paxton especially because he he really didn't look like him when he was with the yeah. yankees he had obviously the injuries were a massive uh, issue for him but his velocity you know which because he was still hurt but his velocity was like what like 90 barely <laughs> like yeah he was, it was like he was it was pretty low 90 yeah yeah and now to have him be sitting mid 90s uh in spring you know i mean he's it's probably not going to get a lot faster than that but the fact that he's already there like you're not looking at a guy who you know it may not take him three four starts to warm up i i think he's pretty much ready to roll and that's that's fantastic to have him coming out and, and shoving from day one is like you said, he's not going to be counted on to be the ace. Uh, Roster Resource has him listed as their number three behind Marco Gonzalez and Yusei Kikuchi. I don't know how, you know, exactly how, how that'll line up. Roster Resource also has him as their most productive starting pitcher. But as we talked about in our last episode, uh, or not Roster Resource, uh, whatever project projection they use, I think it's Zips, but I'm not sure. Charts. charts. Either yeah. way, all of the projections hate Marco. We already talked about that in yeah. our last episode. Uh, they don't hate James as much, so they're kind of projecting him to have a really good season. And that, I mean, how fun would that be just to have James Paxton back? He's probably not going to be like an ace-ace, like we said. He's not even really expected to be that. But mm -hmm. if he looks like the James Paxton that was in Seattle at his peak or even close to it, that's just such a such a huge boost for this team, uh, not just on the field, but just from a morale perspective, from a fan base perspective. It's just a, a good thing all around to have Paxton back. Yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, an article in The Athletic came out like a week ago about him being, you know, taking on more of a, a mentor role. Um, mm. And, you know, I think that as like an analytics, whatever community, we can kind of boohoo those sort of things. But I think they're really important. Like uh, Joaquin Benoit showed Edwin Diaz his slider. Like, those things happen. So I, I think it is going to be really important, even for guys like Yusei Kikuchi, uh, to have guys like like Paxson back. So uh, I, I think we shouldn't discount the the, the veteran presence, grit, well, I, uh, you know, thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like, there is the lefties are a bit of a different breed uh, and the Mariners have a ton of left-handed pitchers. And so to have Paxton in like, 
yeah, Marco is is probably better than him right now. Certainly was better last year, but you can't tell me that James can't teach Marco something, or like you said, Kikuchi, or certainly Sheffield, who I think there are some similarities in their game a little bit, and I think that James could certainly help him there. Uh, it's just you know, it's it it cannot hurt to have him around. Anything they get out of him is a little bit of gravy, just because you know they they got a pretty good deal on his contract. But there's no reason to believe he's not going to perform really well, and that's fantastic. Yeah. Next up on our list, we kind of teased him earlier in the show, is Ty France. Uh, Ty France has been absolutely incredible. I mean, absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. this spring. He's hitting 385. Uh, It's 15 games. I understand that. But 385, like that is ridiculous. He's got five home runs. So he's homering every third game. He, He hasn't faced the best pitching. Baseball Reference has a stat called opponent quality that they have on their site for spring training performances. Uh, and basically 10 is like you're facing Jacob deGrom every start. And one is like you're facing guys in the DSL. And he was a 6.9, which is like AAA equivalent. I don't know how much these numbers necessarily matter, but he hasn't been facing the best of the best, but he's hitting 385. And yeah. considering how well he hit for Seattle down the stretch last year and how well he hit at AAA with San Diego before that, like this is the dude who just, he just hits. Like he just, he doesn't have a natural position in the field. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of speed, but he's got a lot of power and he's got, he just barrels the ball. He hits the ball really hard. And it's, it's, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to not imagine that he's going to be a big contributor for this team this year. The thing that kind of pops my mind when I think about him, and this is going to sound negative and is really not. Uh, but I think of like Stefan Romero, where, Everyone, when he was coming up, kind of said, like, this guy doesn't really have a position. He can't really play mm-hmm. anywhere very well. But that, like, this kid's just going to hit. And obviously, mm-hmm. Stefan Romero did not hit. It didn't work. <laughs> but Ty France, I think, has way more of that look, just like aesthetically. And, you know, what, what the, his batted ball numbers are looking right, like right now. He's looking pretty strong. I still feel a little weird about him. Um, I don't know if you remember like last year, but he had a super weird stat cast profile uh, mm-hmm. where like his, his stat cast was kind of blue, but he just hit it at really optimal, essentially launch angle, but you know, just hit like a bunch of flares and burners. Yeah. And I am not sure that those are super sustainable, but mm-hmm. I believe in his bat and I believe in his spring. And I think one thing to note is that he's been working a lot with uh, Perry Hill, mm-hmm. uh, who's kind of the Mariners infield infield guru yeah fielding guru um mm-hmm. but also he has hit multiple balls like 107 miles mm-hmm. uh off his bat so um there is some of that like max exit velo stuff to like here too absolutely uh, it sounds like he's slotted in as the mariners primary dh uh, he can play every infield position but shortstop again i i don't want to promise that he will play them capably, but he is working with the right people to get better there. Um, And apparently the Mariners listed him as their emergency catcher, which is something he's done historically in the minor leagues a little bit. Uh, I don't know how much of a need they'll have for an emergency catcher. Uh, Certainly, obviously they're going into the season with Tom Murphy and Luis Luis Torrens. Uh, Cal Raleigh, I think will debut at some point this year, but Situations can come up, and apparently, for some reason, um, Ty France is the guy they're going to put back there. 
it's something that, again, my buddy who has him in a fantasy league is like, well, maybe he'll get 10 games. No, probably not. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to end up happening for Ty France as much as fun as it would be to have his bat in the catcher yeah. slot. But uh, yeah, I, I'm excited about Ty France here. I think he's probably in line to take over third base uh, next season or potentially after the trade deadline, depending on what the Mariners try to do with Kyle Seeger. I, I think he. it looks like his bat's really going to play, and I'm I'm really hopeful that this is another really big piece that they acquired in that in that big uh, Austin Nola Taylor Trammell trade. Uh, the only thing that I want <laughs> to say more is that uh, Ty France um, mm-hmm. playing like catcher. All that makes me think of is that one time Miguel Levo was in the bullpen warming up to pitch and we didn't get to see it. And yep. it's one of my greatest <laughs> regrets in life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. I do. Uh, that's, that. that's all I got there though. <laughs> Next up is Justin Dunn. I'm still thinking about that. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Justin Dunn, uh, you've talked about him a lot on Twitter about some of the stuff we've seen out of him. Uh, he's in this category of spring stars, despite the fact that his numbers are not necessarily all that good uh, this spring, uh, but he's, he's velocities up. We're seeing some new stuff with his secondaries. Uh, we're still seeing command issues because it's Justin Dunn, and I'm not entirely sure that the command issues are ever going to really vanish. Uh, but right now he is competing with Nick Margavich. Uh, I already screwed that up. I know we we put pronunciation guides and I screwed up his name. <laughs> but he's competing for one of the final starting spots in the rotation. Um, what have you seen out of him this spring that, that has you a little bit more encouraged than maybe you were before? Basketball is way harder. That's the first thing. Uh, he's like... I don't know who hasn't heard at this point, but he was in like the Seattle times and also was um, interviewed by pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, uh, and talked about how he found out that he was allergic to dairy and eggs this, this off season. He used to eat eggs before every start and he was allergic to them. So that's gotta have a huge impact on your body. And it obviously seems like he did. Like, I don't know how many mechanical things he did. He looks, for the most part, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, focused on eating better. He he said that he got more into nutrition this offseason. Um, <clears throat> kind of shifted around, like, where his weight distribution was on his body. I think he's a little less thick uh, on his lower half. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year he's got he has a big butt yeah, he does. <laughs> and um his breaking ball shape looks much better i don't really know just because of the camera angle like i i don't know what's a curveball and what's a slider or if he turned them into one pitch which i i sort of doubt but what he was throwing looked to me like a curveball with a lot of depth with a lot of bite uh mm. that was pretty hard so with a hard fastball that he's throwing 95, 96, like sitting there and a curveball that drops a lot that he also throws, I think, in the low 80s. Um, I think this is going to be a pretty good year for him. Like you said, there are command um, concerns. Still not great, but overall, I think it's improved. And uh, again, I think it's walks take a pretty long time to become whatever you want to call it reliable credible so i won't read into it too much even though it it, it, it the human in me is is very not very but a little concerned with justin dunn one of the things that came up um 
in that article at the Seattle Times that I think was written by Ryan Divish is he talked about his new changeup. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, effectively, oh gosh, Wild dude, yeah. did, did a full segment on this because, first of all, he hit like every single spring training cliche of best shape of his life. Like he hit all of them, which, yeah. you know, whatever. There's sometimes some truth to those, but it was hilarious how many of them that he talked about. But when he was discussing his new changeup, uh, I'm just going to read the quote because I pulled the article up and it it only does its service if I read exactly what was said. He said about the new pitch grip for his changeup, he said, it's a blessing from God, man. Honestly, I was holding a baseball in my car while I was driving one day and talking to him. He told me I blessed you with three people in your life, Pedro Martinez, Frank Viola, and Trevor Hoffman. Now take all three of those grips and blend them into one. <laughs> I just, I like, like, I'm not going to get into the religion aspect of it. That's totally fine. I don't know how you blend those three changeups into one. Like the, the physics of it just don't make sense to me. Like, did he just make up a new grip for a changeup? Like, I don't really get what he's doing <sighs> and how that exists. Like those guys all have good changeups. Like he's, he picked good people to, or God or whoever picked good people for him to have <laughs> this changeup <laughs> grip. But it's very, uh, it's a very, I, I, I just don't understand like, the actual mechanics of his new changeup. But if it's going to work for him, that's awesome. He could really use it. Yeah, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I just kind of like. I guess for changeups, a lot of it is feel, and if mm -hmm. if it feels good, that's good. Um, it sounds super weird. It's like a Franken grip. Like mm -hmm. it's Hoffman's, it's Hoffman's palm ball. And then Pedro's like circle change. So it's probably a circle change that is yeah. really buried in his hand into his palm. And then he does some weird thing with his fingers and moves them up, something like that. I, really what matters is, is it getting enough separation from his fastball, whether that's horizontal movement, which most of the time it's not. There are a couple examples of that. Mm. Uh, vertical movement or velocity I don't, it doesn't seem like any of those are the case, but um, his changeup last year was, I legitimately think, one of the worst changeups in baseball. Yep. So it can't be worse, I guess, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, especially, reading... especially if God gave it to him. Right. I'm reading Divish's, uh, how he described it, and kudos to him. He's a he's a great journalist, but trying to write this out would be uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, he, he you're basically right. It's this like circle change that's deep in his hand. Uh, his his hope is to get more um, downward movement on it, which is like you said, mm. what he needs to do. I will believe it when I see it. Uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that he. It was really, really bad last year. It's unlikely that it'll be that bad again this year. But for him to, to make it as a starting pitcher, which I know we've talked in the majority of our episodes about Justin Dunn's future as a starter versus as a reliever. But this changeup is a huge hinge. Like teams will just hit eight to nine lefties against him. And if he can't get that changeup to separate from his fastball, he's going to have massive struggles. Uh, the command is always going to be there, like we said. But if he can get guys out, with the changeup, and he has an effective breaking ball, whichever one he kind of picks. Um, if he has an effective breaking ball and his changeup can get whiffs, he'll be okay. Like he'll he'll make it. But I'm I'm not confident that this new Franken changeup that he's got going is necessarily going to be the answer. And if it's not, then my confidence in him sticking in the in the rotation is pretty slim. Yeah, uh, and then I guess the last thing is 
His command last year was a 90 command plus, according to uh, Eno's leaderboard. Uh, I have to think that with a changeup that he's kind of feeling out better. And with the fastball, just like I think with the amount of run that he was getting, uh, it should be straighter now because he is throwing it harder, has more ride. Uh, It should be like he should be able to locate it better. And that's taking a little bit of a leap, but uh, his command was in Bauer, Darvish, you know, territory. That's not bad, Mm -hmm. but the reason why they're good is because they have really good stuff. Justin Dunn doesn't have the stuff. It's better now. And uh, Eno's, uh, he didn't create it. It's a driveline number. But actually, that's Ethan Moore, I believe. But his stuff number was at 104. So it was already 4% above average last year. Okay. That kind of leads me to believe that he'll be up towards like 110 or something. But that's also kind of taking a leap. Because sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like people improve their fastballs and their stuff number doesn't go up, whatever. That's kind of kind of reductionist. But um, yeah, he should have better stuff. And I think his command will, will take a bit of a, a leap. The last guy on our list of spring stars kind of leads into our second topic. And that's Taylor Trammell. Uh, who has made a very, very compelling bid to start the season, not only on the Mariners' opening day roster, but potentially out in left field. Uh, You know, we kind of know that there's not a ton of great internal options in left field, at least not ones that are already big leaguers. Certainly Jared Kelnick was making a push for that. Uh, The injury and the fact that the team just straight up does not want to start his service time likely means that, not even likely, almost certainly with near 100% certainty that Jared Kelnick's not going to be the guy. They may not have as many reservations about starting the clock on Mr. Trammell. And he's also hitting 278 with a 366 on base percentage uh, across the spring, 15 games, had a really monstrous home run pair of steals. And his defense has looked good, which has been a bit of a knock on him. Uh, he's still, he's a left fielder. Like anybody who wants him to play in center or right field, he he's, his arm is bad. Like it's, it's flat out not good. Yeah. So he's limited to left field, but I had my reservations about whether he was going to be a starting caliber left fielder, like at the big league level. And some of those concerns are, are gone a bit. Uh, Trammell went through a pretty hardy swing change um, in the set part of his career in Cincinnati. And then while he was with San Diego, they did a lot of revamping to his swing. I know Trevor Hoof and Pitchless wrote up a really nice article last year about his swing change. And then they then the season got bagged and he ended up at the alternate training site and the Padres didn't release any video. So we didn't really know what his swing looked like for most yeah. of last year. So this is kind of the first time we're seeing him who's he's clearly more comfortable with his new swing because he's been doing it for over a year now. Uh, and so we're starting to see the benefits of that. It should unlock some more power. I'm pretty intrigued here. I'm pretty excited about what we've seen out of him so far. He's a really easy person to root for as well. That always makes it easier when he's just super likable, super charismatic guy. Uh, and he's playing like a, like a very quality starting caliber outfielder. And I, I'm not sold on what the Mariners are going to do. If they're going to make the decision here and actually let him start the season or not, we can talk about that. But for now, I'm just really excited about, you know, the guy who's very clearly the third best Mariners outfield prospect, but who's, who's looking pretty legit right now. Yeah, I when he came over, Tremel wasn't someone that I was like dying to have. Like in double A, mm-hmm. his WRC plus was 106 and then 98 across two years and uh, like 120 games. 
And so, you know, he had a pretty bad average. His, his K percentage was really bad uh, um, with the Padres. But I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot higher on him now. Um, I do think he's kind of the offensive equivalent of Dunn in a weird way in that <laughs> he, he looks good, uh, but he just has like one big question mark for Dunn. It's, it's the walks. Like, are the walks going to go away? Because if they don't, it's going to be harder to be good. And for Tremel, it's, it's, is he, is he going to swing and miss a lot? Right. Um, <laughs> So far, so, so far, pretty good. Um, yeah. But he's, he, you know, he flashed the power. I think he hit, we talked about it in like October, but he had a like 110 uh, exit velo in, uh, in fall. So I think he, you know, if we're, if we're going to, I guess we can just hop into, you know, who starts in left world. I think we can just, you know, assume, presume that Kelnick's not going to be. I mean, Depoto's oh, all but said, yeah, he's he's not making it, which is funny because I think Seven Ten had a little bit of an article come out, and it it sounds an awful lot like Kelnick's going to be up in April, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're going to cite is the ramp up period for him and not yeah. getting the you know the usual. Uh, kind of schedule as other players and needing to see him healthy. I mean, he's tearing the cover off the ball and running and fielding well right now, but you know that got to fix that fielding for two weeks before he's, he can be called up. Um, of course, of course. So, uh, I really want to see Tramel start and, and left field. I'm, I'm curious to, to, to hear what kind of your take is on the, that situation. Yeah, I think, I mean, from a talent perspective, if it's not going to be Kellenic, it should be Taylor Trammell. And, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, that is praise for Trammell, obviously, but it's also more of an indictment of the other options that Seattle has, uh, which are, are bad. Um, but sure. beyond even the talent thing, which we'll get to in a second, I think it's an, an optics thing of like, the system is broken and the Mariners want to exploit the system by keeping Kellenic down for a few weeks so they get an extra year of control. It's a crappy situation and a crappy thing to do, but they're they're gonna do it. Like that's just what's going to happen. And it 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 looks bad. It looks bad in light of what Kevin Mather said. It looks bad in light of like Chris Bryant's situation and the fact that Kellenick's already not happy about this and has expressed all that. All of it just looks bad. There's no really other way to spin it, unfortunately. Also doing the same thing to Tramel. Even if the argument that, hey, he needs more time, he hasn't played at AAA, he hit like 240 at AA, all of those are somewhat legitimate arguments. But the fact that he has hit so well this spring, the fact that if it's not Trammell, it's either Jake Fraley or Jose Marmalejos, and the fact that they're already not playing Kellenic, it's just a really bad look. Like, that's like, that's the big, it's just like, we know that the Mariners are not necessarily contending this year, that they're making a stronger push in 2022. But, like, Jake Fraley and Jose Marmalejos are not good. Fraley has not hit at the major league level at all. He hasn't looked particularly good this spring. He flashed a little bit. Uh, but I, he's not a starting caliber outfielder anymore. If he, if he made some changes and unlocked some stuff and looks good, great. I will, I'll take it. Fine. But I'm, I'm not 
feeling that. I don't think that I don't have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. that he is a starting outfielder. And Jose Marmolejos is just a replacement level guy. Like he's fine at what at being who he is, like a first base left field DH, you know, bench bat. Like that that's a fine role for him. And I think he'll he'll do that capably for a half decade or so. But he's not a starting left fielder either. You could start no. Dylan Moore there, I guess. That's an option. And then you start Ty France at second base. And then who do you start at DH? Like you, you don't yeah. have anybody there. Uh, so for me, it's there's a lack of options on the rest of the roster. But beyond that, Taylor Trammell has straight up earned it. Like in old in in old school baseball, uh, I did that with air quotes. I know you can't see me, but um, <laughs> and you know, like if a guy hit, had a really good spring, even if you could make the argument that they weren't ready, if a guy had a good spring and they just made the roster. Like that's what happened. And if Tramiel mm-hmm. makes the roster and he hits 190 for the first month of the season, fine. Send him to AAA. You know, start Fraley, start Marmalejos, decide Kellenic's defense is good enough, and all of a sudden bring him up on like April 16th or whatever. Um, that's fine. But I, I think Tramiel has earned it. And I think for the Mariners, from a PR perspective and from a at least half-heartedly trying to convince the fans they're trying to win, this is the dude who should start on opening day. Not to mention the AAA season doesn't start until it's... May, early May. So if you want them to get that re- those reps, especially like fielding, I don't think those are coming and at the alternate mm-hmm. site. Um, also, if you so like clearly they're going to keep Kalnick down. You could mm-hmm. just call Tramel up, have him up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then once Kelnick, you know, is seasoned enough, just swap them. Um, I hope that's not what happens, but if you want to do that, that's what you do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just want to see, like, good baseball. And the more that we have to watch Marmolejos and Fraley, mm-hmm. God bless uh, Jose Marmolejos's soul, uh, the worst baseball that we're going to see on the field. Absolutely. And, and Trammell is just like, he's young, he's exciting. He's like, like I said, you, you can root for him. Um, he's just fun. You know, I mean, he he's, mm-hmm. the Mariners have had a lot of fun personalities in the previous years. You know, certainly they still have quite a few. Shed Long's a super fun guy. Um, but you always want to root for these guys. And especially in a team where you maybe don't have the most uh, competitive roster, like, give us the dudes who are fun. Like <laughs> Tramel is that guy. Yeah. He's fun. He's been fun. He's caught the attention of the fans. And, and I, I entirely think it's possible that he struggles like in the first month of the season. Like I, I would not be surprised if he comes out of the gate kind of slow because mm-hmm. he hasn't played at AAA. He's not played in the major leagues. Even his opponent quality level here in spring training wasn't all that great. Like there's a, there's a distinct possibility that, Yes, I know he hit a home run off Zach Davies, and that's exciting. But there's a chance that he does struggle. But you got to give him that look. Like it's you got to give him an opportunity to prove it. Because what if he doesn't? You know, what yeah. if he comes out and looks fantastic? A, then the Mariners can really make it. Then really can ham up the Jared Kelenic thing if, if Taylor Trammell's playing really yeah. well. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's a slap in the face to the fans if they don't give him a chance to start on opening day. Because then it's like kind of like what was the point of all of this spring? Like how good would he have had to hit for you to start him? Because He's hit pretty darn well. And if you're not even going to give him a chance, then it's kind of just, it's just kind of disrespectful. It's funny because DePoto verbatim, uh, I always say Mm. verbatim, even if I'm not saying verbatim, but like (laughs) almost verbatim said like Kelnick has done as well as you could have asked of him. And it's just like, Mm. 
what like yeah, what real. more do you want from him um so yeah i don't know maybe we're making too much like too big of a deal of, of spring training but also this season isn't going to be like a season where we miss a playoffs by a game right. or two or three or four or five <laughs> right. um, so you know you can afford to 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 have them up and, and see what they've got and i think it's important for those players um I've, I've talked about how i think the alternate site is potentially good for players because you get to see more of like major leaguers see who you know like see harder fastballs better command whatever mm-hmm. um but i've also heard of players really not liking the alternate site i think actually kelnick said that he didn't like it so there's that Okay, moving on from Taylor Trammell, who I could talk about for a lot of time because I yeah. am really fascinated <laughs> by him. Um, we kind of want to talk a little bit about the final rotation spot. We already talked a fair amount about Justin Dunn. He's in that competition right now, according to at least Roster Resource and a few articles. Uh, he's competing with Nick Margavichus uh, for go. that final spot. Um, again, it's a six-man rotation, so right now they have one of those two guys penciled in at number six, and then Chris Flexen is penciled in at number five. So it's sort of a two-man competition, but it's also a little bit of a three-man competition for those two spots. Um, I haven't read a lot about Chris Flex in this spring. I haven't seen a ton of things about him. I know he's a guy that you were super interested in when he came over because of how he did it, what he did in the KBO, because of some. I know you wrote an article about uh, some breaking ball changes that he could potentially made. Uh, mm-hmm. His numbers haven't been great. Again. 13 innings pitched, uh, 14 to 5K to walk ratio is pretty solid. He's faced good opponents. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about the numbers, but I know the big thing with him was how that velocity was going to transfer back over because he struck a ton of guys out in the KBO because he had like the second fastest fastball in the entire league. And he does not have the second fastest fastball in the major leagues or in his rotation. So um, I don't know how much you've seen him or how much you've read about him so far this spring, but I'm I'm curious how... uh, tenuous you think that his uh, hold on a rotation spot is at this point uh it's kind of funny because they're having like like margavichus has the overwhelming you know kind of numbers he's sure. only walked a hitter uh mm-hmm. i mean he's pitched nine innings so you can take all of his numbers and that's his per nine you know so yeah there it is <laughs> his era is two his his walks per nine is one his k per nine is ten uh, those are good numbers, but yes, they are. we've also seen him be a league average pitcher. I don't know what his command plus is, but <laughs> the numbers from 2019 are 85, uh, which it's, you know, definitely better than that. But I, I, like he has a future 55 grade command figure. And I don't, I don't really think he's, I don't think he's there. Um, I think I know people who like him uh, and I, I get a lot of crap from um, Anders Jorstad is, is my co-host at Clubhouse Naptime, uh, also a writer at Lookout Landing and PitcherList. He, he gives me crap a lot just because um, I kind of poo-poo boring pitchers sometimes, which I really feel like I don't. Like I go hard for Kyle Hendricks and Marco Gonzalez and Brady, Brady Singer. Singer. Yeah, Zach Eflin, like... I think that's not really the case. I think it's more so that if we want to see, if we want to see what Dunn's got, we should see what he's got in the rotation. And obviously he's going to get a look no matter what, but you definitely should give 
him priority because the more opportunities that you can give him before games actually start really mattering for us, uh, the better off we'll be. And even if that means that, you know, he he falls back to the bullpen, at least then you know that you have like a swing type guy in Margavichus, mm-hmm. maybe a swingish type guy in Dunn and like a strong bullpen piece. Or yeah. maybe Dunn is like right now, I think there's a decent chance that he's better than Justice Sheffield because Justice Sheffield right now is a pitcher who pitches a lot to contact and doesn't have good command. Whereas Dunn can avoid, he can miss bats with some more command, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still the chance, you know, I, I wrote that article and it, it, it wasn't high on him at all because I hated his everything. His command wasn't good. His fastball right. wasn't good. His changeup, like I said, awful. The slider and curveball were essentially the same pitch, except one was sweepier. But now his breaking ball looks better. He's got a new changeup. He's got a better fastball, and his command might be better. Uh, if he was worth pitching all of last season, I have to think that he's worth pitching, especially over someone like Nick Margavichus. Yeah, agreed. I think Margavichus is just kind of destined for that long relief role. Uh, like he really, he's sort of typecast in a way. Like that just seems like it really fits yeah. what kind of pitcher that he is. Um, and there's, I mean, that's perhaps unfair to to typecast a pitcher like that, especially because he's still relatively young. But you're, I mean, to to not to also dunk on boring pitchers because we're trying not to do that in case Anders listens. But but like I I don't see a lot of upside with him in the rotation just in terms of like like what I I don't see him really like being able to elevate above being like a five or a six, I suppose. Whereas with Dunn, like, yeah, there is a distinct possibility that he can't hack it as a starter. Like that could happen. But also he could be a four or a three. Like there Mm -hmm. is at least you can squint and see it. And flexin I'm I'm not as confident that that's there, but I think there's more there's more upside with him than there is with Margavichitz. And I, I just think he's he's kind of just like a long relief emergency starter type guy. And I I don't have any problem with the Mariners kind of just easing him into that career already, like just letting him be that guy mm-hmm. and giving these other guys who have a little bit more upside a shot. And if they don't make it, great. Then you just slot Margavichitz back into the rotation and kind of know what you're getting you know you know what he's gonna do yeah. um so th- that works for me uh i think that that's what a rebuilding team should do uh maybe a, a contending team who has these kind of like upside risky guys might stick with the safer bet uh, but for the mariners it doesn't really make sense to do that like let's see what these guys can do if they can't hack it no harm just just bump them down to the bullpen and, and give this other guy a shot yeah and uh, i guess i will say I think Margavichus has a little something there with his fastballs pretty good. Like it doesn't really get swings and misses, but he throws it for strikes a decent amount, like about 30%. Uh, I think really like the slider is no good and he should probably just kind of can it as much as he can. The curveball is interesting. It's really slow. It's, I think it's more of a get me over pitch, but it has so much drop that I, I wonder if he can kind of get, whiffs with it if he you know goes with the fastballs up curveballs down kind of thing and more mixes in the changeups and sliders either way he needs to throw fewer fastballs i think but 
Yeah, this is purely anecdotal from from watching him, but it feels like you said he definitely kind of looped that curveball in and in counts where he could steal a strike. But I would be curious mm-hmm. to see if he started attacking down below the zone with it, what that might do. Um, and I'm sure he did at points, obviously, last year. But uh, mm-hmm. that would be intriguing, at least, to see him give that a shot, and maybe it would kind of mm-hmm. unlock some some potential there. But yeah, I I think the other guys are are a little bit more at least interesting to me and certainly more, more upside in my mind. Mm-hmm. All right. So we can look at the bullpen. Uh, I, I, uh, I haven't been paying a lot of attention. Obviously bullpen numbers in spring training are going to be such tiny sample sizes. Uh, but you know, Jerry DePoto made a big deal before the off season started about, we're going to add three or four different relievers. We're going to add some veteran guys. Uh, we're going to try to kind of reshape this, uh, this roster in the bullpen. And, it doesn't look all that different to me. Like it kind of looks like I I remember thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, he checked that off the list. They did it. And now I'm looking and I'm like, I mean, like Rafael Montero was a, was a good signing. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. He's fine. Keenan Middleton is a guy that I'm kind of interested in. He's had a truly awful spring, um, but you know, maybe he's just shaking some rust off. Obviously Ken Giles is a signing. I was a hundred percent on board with, but he's not going to pitch this year. Um, and then Will Vest is kind of their other addition, the Rule 5 pick uh, from the Detroit Tigers, who has looked just as bad as Keenan Middleton. So it's been a little, again, small samples, but it's, you know, the two of the three, well, really all three, because Montero hasn't looked all that good either. Uh, mm-hmm. All of the new additions to the bullpen uh, haven't exactly added to my confidence about this group heading into the season. Yeah, um, I I will admit, I'm even though it's spring, uh And even over a full season, like the samples often like we talk all Mm -hmm. the time about how volatile pitchers are Mm -hmm. like relief pitchers. And even then I'm like, ah, they're not doing so hot. But I I think just to kind of put it like plainly, I'm kind of so I think Will Schwartz said this to me uh, maybe a month or two ago. He said that Mishevitz is the best reliever in the bullpen and I kind of pushed back because I was like well I think Montero like I don't know how good he is against righties yet I I like Montero enough uh, especially because like you know they pitch in differently leveraged situations and I think Middleton is gonna you know take that next next step but um I think Mashevitz might be the best <laughs> reliever in the bullpen um mm-hmm. so i think that's his name will schwartz so shout out to to will schwartz i hope i i didn't get your name wrong but he just he has a really weird um kind of pitch mix he just tosses in uh, a slider into the zone that just no one or a cutter depending on what you want to call it it gets a fair amount of um chases but it's it's not easy to hit in the zone for for hitters and then he pairs that with um a, a good you know he gets misses with his his fastball and his curveball is sort of similar to his cutter so uh he's a really fun piece and i'm kind of wondering like if he ends up getting more saves towards the end of the year if if <laughs> if things go poorly um but essentially, I think I'm high on Mishevitz, Graveman, and Sadler relative to how other people feel about Casey Sadler. Mm-hmm. Kind of meh on Rafael Montero. Uh, Eno 
Saris calls him a oatmeal guy on uh, Rates and Barrels. And I think that's a pretty correct assessment. Um, Middleton, I'm kind of meh on. Uh, I wrote up that article about him and and a lot of the premise was, you know, I think he's going to change a slider. I don't know how much it's changed. I think he's been kind of missing with his fastball, even though he throws it hard. Um, and then kind of worried about Eric Swanson and Will Vest. Um, I think Vest has flashed the stuff and he's been coming on as of late. Um, mm. But, you know, I, th- I think he's just showing his age. Um, just needs reps. So, yeah, I think I think I was really optimistic about the bullpen and now I'm more lukewarm, but it's going to be an improvement from last year and that's all I can ask for. Yeah, agreed 100%. And I'm... I'm... I feel like the talent level between like the worst pitcher in the bullpen and the best pitcher in the bullpen is really small. <laughs> like there's not a huge difference between those guys right now, which, which could be really fun uh, if service and the staff is willing to, to move things around and give other guys shots and, and kind of be aggressive with, Hey, this guy's struggled. So he's like, he's not the eighth inning guy anymore uh, because in years past and with other teams, obviously like the hierarchy is harder to disrupt because you have like, if you're the Yankees, you have like four really good relievers and they're pretty much in in order. Uh, the Mariners don't have that at all. So they can kind of be more, you can get guys chances to to close. You can get guys chances to throw in the later innings. And, and you know, it'll be always hard to forever to quantify how important, you know, it is for players mentally to get chances to do that kind of stuff. But I, it's hard to imagine it's not at least somewhat important. Uh, and I think getting some of these younger guys opportunities to throw in later innings could be good long-term, especially on a team that again, isn't necessarily competing and is looking to find out how many of these guys are going to be on this team in two or three years when we like really need a good bullpen. Uh, and right now I don't think any of them have any security for that role. Uh, the, the one who probably has the most is Andres Munoz, the other piece they got in the pod race, <laughs> but he's not going to pitch until, I want to say like August, July, maybe. Yeah, maybe like a that. little sooner. Yeah, it depends on how he comes yeah. back. Yeah, I think June is what they said. So, so June optimistically. Um, mm-hmm. But and he's gonna. I think he's gonna be very good. I think he's a really, really talented reliever. He's like twenty one, twenty two. He's already pitched in the major leagues. But, but other than that, I think this is a, a large group of guys that the Mariners are just kind of trying to feel out. Like, is there something we can unlock? Is there something we can do here that that'll make these guys valuable pieces for this team? A few years and I'm hoping that that means that they'll be rather aggressive with kind of how they uh, how they utilize these guys because I think mm-hmm. that it's just more fun when that's the case I and mean, not if you own any of them in your fantasy baseball league then it's a nightmare but uh, if you're down to Mariners relievers then I, I don't really think there's much I can do to help you uh, as somebody who owns Rafael Montero in a league so <laughs> yeah. but the, yeah I, I mean for me like Keenan Middleton was the guy I was most excited about and he's given up five home runs in seven innings which is just astoundingly not good um, <laughs> again seven innings but five home runs five like that is really bad like you said he's missing with his fastball which that's that'll do it if you're missing middle middle with a really hard fastball you're going to get teed off on um and yeah will vest is a guy i'm i'm interested in he's faced pretty inferior competition mm-hmm. small references numbers say he's faced basically the equivalent of like high a hitting and he's given up seven runs in eight innings so that's concerning uh, again he's super young he's barely pitched at the triple a level um, I'd say he just needs more time. 
But if the Mariners want to keep him, then they don't have more time to give him because he is a Rule 5 pick and has to stay on the roster the entire year. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes. Um, he's getting a second shout-out of the show, so I know he's going to be uh, he's going to talk about this. But Trevor Huth uh, was a huge Will Vest guy. He loved him. Uh, was shocked the Mariners were able to get him in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, I trust Trevor's instincts on guys, so that makes me a little bit more interested in, in Will Vest, even despite these numbers. But uh, it's it's been a rough start. There's <laughs> not really any other way to put it. Yeah. Now, when uh, when Trevor when Trevor Huth uh, talks about prospects, you listen. I was going to ask. I kind of hinted towards my answers, but I want you mm-hmm. to pick a uh, a wild card and a disappointment. Uh, you have to choose one, and mm-hmm. you can you can interpret the question how you want. <laughs> Out of the bullpen guys, I assume. Yeah. Um, wild card. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Middleton because, uh, I think that him giving up five home runs in seven innings doesn't shock me too much, but I think he could also be the best pitcher in this bullpen. Like he he had stints with the angels before he got hurt and he, he did take over their closing role and looked really good. Like he, you know, his, his breaking stuff was sharp. His fastball is really good. Uh, and command is an issue for him. And it's not even just like walks command in terms of like, you know, missing middle, middle with fastballs. Um, and we just haven't seen a lot of him just in general because of all the injuries, but we certainly haven't seen much of him lately. So he's one that I'm really, you know, like I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he was really just trying to get his feet under him in these seven innings and wasn't that it's not necessarily indicative of future performance for him. So he's the hardest player for me to predict. Um, and then was the other one the under the radar guy or the the uh, surprise? Yeah. Well, let's see. So wild card and like disappointment. Oh, disappointment. Oh, in yeah. that case, I'm going to go with Swanson. Then um, I I've been burned by Eric Swanson. I I was really I made a bold prediction a few years ago that he'd like lead the Mariners in saves, and he got zero. Um, <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't work at all. Um, he's no. a guy who he you know. Sometimes I think we attribute, and we as and me and a handful of other fantasy analysts, I'm sure people do this, where you see a guy who has two decent pitches, one bad pitch, and you think, oh, just move him to the bullpen. Those other pitches will play up. He'll drop the third pitch, and he'll just be good. Uh, and there are plenty of examples of this working, so it's not like it's completely insane to think that. But it's also just doesn't work for everybody, <laughs> certainly. Uh, and, I mean, we won't go back. We won't revisit the Justin Dunn conversation, but that is – I mean, that is kind of the blueprint that we're talking about there. Uh, and Swanson was a guy where I was like, his changeup sucks. Uh, his breaking ball is pretty good. His fastball's okay, but he threw a lot harder coming out of the pen. So move him to the bullpen. Fastball plays up. Slider looks good. He abandons the changeup. Boom, he'll be good. And I'm a lot less confident that that I think that's still the blueprint they're trying to do. But I'm just a lot less confident that he's actually going to unlock anything and that we're going to see a guy who who's more than just like middle relief fodder. Like I kind of think that's where he is at this point. And the fact that James Paxton is back on the roster makes that trade. He was part of that trade. I think um, yeah. makes that trade feel a little bit better. So that's good. But I I'm, I'm not sold on him even being like a consistent 40 man roster guy, to be honest. Uh, I'd love to be wrong, uh, but I, I haven't, he, his spring has, he's looked okay spring so maybe it's not fair to dunk on him when he's actually been pitching okay but um i I, i'm not 
super confident here that that what we want him to unlock is necessarily going to happen. I'm going to cheat. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take my rule that I bestowed upon you and <laughs> and not abide by it. Um, <laughs> I kind of like Casey Sadler. Um, his curveball is pretty interesting to me. He just throws it a lot. It gets a ton of drop. Mm. I think he can kind of do the Austin Adams thing where it's just like the fastball is not the best. So just throw your best pitch a lot. Mm. The cutter is workable. So I think if you just keep throwing that curveball, like he is a really interesting middle relief option. Um, as I noted, Mashevitz, I, I just find him like a really weird pitcher, really, um, especially as a lefty. So those are my two uh, wild card type guys. And then for disappointment, I I think because I'm expecting to be disappointed in Swanson and, and expecting mm-hmm. best to look like, you know, uh, a guy who hasn't pitched at the major league level before, uh, I think I'm ready to say Middleton. I think... I think I was really excited about him going into this year over the off season. I don't think he's going to make the changes that I thought he would. So I think it's more disappointment in the sense that I don't think he's going to be the closer, you know, level pitcher that I thought he could be. But I I think that he'll, you know, be good enough to definitely be a middle relief guy, but also maybe a, a setup guy too. I'm looking at Casey Sadler because I didn't really get a chance to talk about him. And I kind of remembered that his career has been pretty interesting. And yeah, it has been strange. He debuted in 2014 uh, through 15 innings over the next two seasons in the big leagues and then just didn't appear at all in the major leagues for two years. Uh, I believe he was dealing with injuries. I think it was Tommy John, although I'm not actually sure. Uh, and then he had one season where he threw 46 innings and he had a 2.14 ERA. Like he was really good. Uh, the peripherals don't back any of that up, um, but it was still, it was a good year. And then last year, like we all of a sudden saw his strikeout rate balloon. Like it got way higher than it's ever been before. Now, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about a guy who in his career has only thrown 85 innings. So it's really hard to know how much of that is just kind of goofy sample sizeness, but um, yeah, I mean, you can't not be a little intrigued by a guy who all of a sudden struck out way more guys. Uh, and I know he's a spin rate guy, so I, I'm definitely interested in Sadler too. You know, he's he doesn't he's older guy. He's uh, he's 30. He's not super old, but a 30 year old guy who only has 85 career innings under his belt is certainly atypical. Um, although the Mariners have had guys like that in the past, if I remember, Austin Adams didn't have a ton of major league experience, and he was 29 when they traded him. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I am intrigued by Sadler. I, I we just we've never seen enough of him to know what he is. Uh, but there's some stuff behind the scenes that indicate he could be he could be a pretty solid uh, reliever. And so I'm kind of interested to see what he does. Won't be the worst bullpen in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I oh man, I, I I pay a lot of attention to the Detroit Tigers bullpen because I just hate myself apparently. Uh, and I know I asked you guys a question on your other podcast, Clubhouse Naptime, about the Mar- uh, the Tigers did, bullpen. And did you hear the answer? I did I did? You guys picked the right guy. Soto's the only interesting person in that bullpen uh, at yeah. all. So it's yeah. I mean he's more interesting than anybody in the Mariners bullpen too in my mind. But he's not necessarily very good. He's just more interesting. At least he throws a hundred. <laughs> yeah, he I, I wrote him up for pitcher list, and yeah, he throws a hundred with like a ninety mile an hour slider that. 
you're going to get my attention when you do that, even if he has no idea where yeah. the strikes are. Oh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? It's fun, right? All right. Well, Mikey, that was kind of a quick rundown on the quick-ish uh, rundown on the Mariners' uh, bullpen and kind of what they're looking like. Uh, by the next time we record, I'm thinking the regular season will, if not st- have started, be very close to starting. And I'm really looking forward to finally getting to see the product on the field. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I it's been uh, it's been a lonely five months. Um, I'm ready to to see some baseball and and more specifically some Mariners baseball. Absolutely, it'd be fun to to dive into how this team is doing. Well, once again, guys, I'm Andy Patton. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Patton PNW. You can find Mikey on Twitter at Disthy Mikey. You can find the podcast wherever you already find podcasts. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple. You can also find it on the PitcherList website at pitcherlist.com slash podcasts. You can also support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Seattle. Thank you all for listening, and go Mariners.